This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Deborah Prinzing is founder and leader of the Slow Flowers Society. She joins me in this first week of summer, after Memorial Day in the U.S., but before the summer solstice in just a few weeks, to share more about the many facets of her passion for being a voice in the floral world. As a Seattle-based writer, speaker, and advocate for American-grown flowers, Deborah's many Slow Flowers branded projects have convened a national conversation that stimulates consumers and professionals alike to make conscious choices about the flowers in their lives. Welcome, Deborah. I am so pleased to be speaking with you again. You have been here before, and I'm sure many listeners will have heard that interview. But for everyone who might be new to Deborah Princing, you are in for a treat. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I've been looking forward to this. L- let's start with this. Um, you know what? If you were to tell people that the mission of your work bound up in all of those roles that I just described about you. What would that mission statement be, Deborah? Hmm. I think it's all about relationships and community and sustainability. And um, when I find a subject as a writer, which is my background, and when I find a subject that I am smitten by and that I uh, get swept up by and that I fall down the rabbit hole discovering, all of a sudden I it becomes sort of my lifestyle. And gardening did that for me for 20 years. And um, now, I guess for the last 10 years, it's been writing about and and trying to learn as much as possible about the people who grow and design flowers in this Slow Flower Society uh, universe, which is, you know, basically non-commercial, non-factory-like, but more artisan-like. So... I've always written about creative people um, as a journalist, and I'm drawn to them. And so I want to live in that creative world. There's no boundary for me yeah. between the people I want to spend time with, the people I have invited to be part of this society, and the people that I'm writing about. It's just, it's seamless. Yeah, yeah. And they are they are all really interdependent, which, which I think is part of where that like frisson of energy comes from and the joy comes from is that it's not just about the flower, but it's about the person who grew the flower and the person who receives the flower and the the engagement with the earth from which the flower comes that, you know, it's, it's all of those working together in your work uh, from the beginning, certainly of the slow flowers work. And so I want you to describe, just recap for people that aren't familiar with your story, that that arc, because it's an it's an interesting arc and it's one that I think listeners will um even if they've heard it before, Deborah, they will like the <laughs> refresher because it really is an inspiration for people looking for their own paths and their own joy and and the the mark or the meaning they want to make in this world. Yeah, I mean, I I think that we all can start with our early influences of of being aware of um, plants and nature. You know, anybody who's listening is um, loves your show because plants are at the center of it and the, and nature's at the center of it. So I have those experiences myself, but um, it's interesting. I, I mentioned earlier, I have always written about creative people. I was a, a 
features writer and also a business journalist um, for, you know, 10 years. And I would kind of find the, I had the chick beat at Puget Sound Business Journal. So I would write about, my beat was the design oriented businesses. So I, I was called it the chick beat because I was only female on the staff, but you know, it was hospitality, retail, media, marketing, architecture, interior design, graphic design, you know, all these sort of creative businesses, but I was writing about the business of them, but I always turned them into some kind of design story. I just inevitably, I couldn't help myself. So when I left that in 1997, when my um, youngest son was born and went to a career of full-time freelance writing and said, I'm putting business writing behind. I'm sick of CEOs and dot-coms. I really want to just write about home and garden, I spent, you know, the next 15 years pursuing that. And here I am full circle back in a world where actually that business reporting skill set is really important because so much of what uh, is drawing people into floral agriculture and floral design and, and floral art is trying to make a living doing what you love. And there is a business component to that. And my question is always like, how do you make it work? And I know you talk to your guests a lot, a lot about this too. And I was sort of struck this morning, I was interviewing um, a flower farmer on the East Coast who's part of a really exciting new collective of farmers. And she said, my husband always tells me something to this effect. You can't always have a job that you love. <laughs> and I said to her, why not? <laughs> I mean, we're told Good question. That. Good question, you know, Deborah. Yeah. <laughs> we're told that, right? <laughs> yeah, we are. But increasingly the people that I come across and, and talk to every day are trying to challenge that question and say, I want to have a life, a life doing what I love that sustains me. And I know that's like the whole premise of your book that you came out with last year, The Earth in Her Hands. I mean, that was a question you asked all your subjects, right? God, there's so much, there's so many interesting cultural paradigms wrapped up in, in that very question and the way it interfaces with your describing your initial subject matter for the reporting as mm -hmm. the chick beat, right? <laughs> right, exactly. But I do believe in the difference that we make when we are doing something we truly believe in and enjoy. And I do think that if you hold that as as important as a value to you, you will you will find work that meets those criteria. It might not be the highest paying work in the world, but it, but it also might be, um, you know, but that isn't the main metric, I think, that we put to right. these jobs that we do, right? Right, right. I mean, I'm not the only person advocating for this in the floral space. There are so many um, other voices who are basically saying the same thing. And we all have our own personal kind of um, interpretation of that, but it's yeah. when there's a collective conversation all of a sudden, you don't have to apologize for making a choice like, a, you know, I, you know, leaving a law career to become a flower farmer. Right. Nobody has to apologize for that anymore because it just feels right. You go on this path. Gosh, 
okay, you're going to have to help me here. How many years ago was this that you made the leap and you, you, you started writing about houses and gardens, but maybe take us back to that first book that launched you into this concept of slow flowers and that has really defined this phase of your career. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, that's a good place to start. I was, you know, going along my merry way, writing about gardens and homes <laughs> and architecture, mainly for the Los Angeles times. I was living in Southern California until 2010, just for four years, but that was like an amazing chapter of my life. And during that period of time, um, I started meeting West coast micro flower farmers. And uh, of course, California is the state where 80% of domestic flower production has been taking place for the last 25 years. That's changing with all kinds of, for all kinds of reasons, COVID, cannabis, you know, real estate, second, third generation, you know, family members who don't want to stay in agriculture and like all those reasons. But it's, it's not a negative in my opinion, because uh, on balance, there are small entrepreneurial uh, growers popping up in every market elsewhere in the country. And so there's sort of this like egalitarian shift taking place. But I, I started meeting these farmers back, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And all of a sudden that that story of the David and Goliath story, right? Like the little farmer trying to compete on the global floriculture stage, um, the you know, the fact that they were being forced to keep compete on price when it was an uneven playing field, when it was a virtually a you know, a different product compared to, you know, commercially grown shipped flowers from another continent versus this heirloom, you know, specialty flower right. that is, you know, ephemeral or highly fragrant mm -hmm. or kind of limited in, in production. And so as a gardener, I remember thinking, this makes no sense to me. Why are we shipping flowers from two continents away on a jumbo jet using all this, you know, jet fuel? When I'm a gardener, I know that I can grow these flowers or I know right. somebody who can. And that simple confusion of my me trying to rationalize it in my mind um, led to more it, you know, more, more like a desire that I had to learn more. And I, you know, every time you interview someone, it leads to the next person, which I know, you know, Jennifer, it's like this chain of beads that is interconnected and you're just building a longer necklace or something. It's great. So, yeah. No, it definitely yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, while I was meeting all these farmers, um, I partnered up with a, a friend of a friend uh, who, David Perry, who's an agricultural, who's a photographer in Seattle, but he had done a lot of agricultural photography for like farm bureaus and farm banks and stuff like that. And so he was kind of into shooting farms and we decided to work on this book. Um, we couldn't sell it. It was called the, we were calling it at one point, it had different distances, but we ended up with the 50 mile bouquet. And as it turned out at the 11th hour, before we pulled the trigger to publish it ourselves, we partnered with Paul Kelly of St. Lynn's Press in the book. In, we met him in 2011 and then our book, he published our book in 2012. So the 50 Mile Bouquet is sort of a documentary style book, beautifully photographed by David. That is just um, stories of people who are growing, who are the farmers, and then who are the florists and then also kind of other other things are happening among like the highly motivated floral gardener. Right. And so, yeah, that started it all. But, you know, when I was trying to, first of all, pitch that book to publishers for two years and explain it to people, 
I would say it's like slow food, but just think of, think of it as flowers. slow flowers. Yeah. And that was sort of my catchphrase to explain what that meant to people. Right. And um, that sort of took hold as a concept. And it has seeded very effectively in our cultural imagination, I would say. And it birthed your next book. And then you founded what is now known as the Slow Flowers Society. Will you describe what that society is and what it does for people? Yes, yes. I mean, basically, it's the umbrella. Slow Flower Society is the umbrella over all, all my projects. And, you know, like, I'm like the farmers and florists who are in my society. We all have, <laughs> A we few all hats. have multiple jobs. Yeah. Um, but our core mission is to inspire the floral industry and its consumers to embrace local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers. And that's sort of the the, the driving thrust of what we're trying to do but there's we have i have like multiple media channels um a podcast a online magazine um a conference called the slow flower summit which we're going to talk about because you're going to be our capstone speaker this year um and then you know it's just um a community so it's a it's like a network of over 875 mm. farmers and florists who pay a modest fee to join as members and support all this programming and, and resources and content. And um, all I do is tell stories. And, you know, if you really d distill it down to the basics, I'm trying to help share their stories and shine a light on their work. And uh, it's really rewarding, Jennifer. Yeah. Um, but I will just point out that you are, uh, you are, incredibly modest and hyperbolically understated when you say, all I do is tell stories. Because I happen <laughs> to know you are a woman who like rises at four and goes to bed at midnight. And you are, you are, it, it is a complex choreography of, of mm -hmm. coordinating people and coordinating projects, but you love it. And that passion and joy is so clearly evident in all that you do, which um, I think really empowers and encourages the the people who are learning from you and who are um you know kind of nah, that, that's not the right way to put that who are who are imbibing some of your energy and mm, putting mm -hmm. it into their work and that network of of people you know, growing flowers in their places, making flexible and meaningful little home economies, sometimes much larger than home economies. Mm -hmm. um, and, and as a result, you know, making their own communities more connected and decreasing embodied energy and decreasing the carbon footprint as well as like labor footprint and you know, disassociation in a an international floral trade, that homegrown network, like that is very meaningful. It has ramifications that spread out into community well-being, into economics, into personal self-esteem and and well-being and agency, Deborah. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's I, you know, it's I early on learned the phrase cultural shift instead to use that instead of trend. And I actually yeah. learned this from my very first podcast guest in 2013. She was a marketing expert in the sustainability world. And I, she's the one who said, trend seems fleeting. Focus on cultural shift, because yeah. if something is in, if it starts as a cultural shift and it's in the kind of public arena for uh, 10 years, it becomes just accepted as, um, 
you know, part of our lifestyle. And mm-hmm. I, I thought, oh yeah, that's what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. I want to make the sh- culture shift toward local flowers. So um, thanks, thanks for saying that. And I just, you know, I've, I've constantly trying to validate that belief, uh, you know, because they're, look at, I live in a bubble, right? And I, you probably do too, but like, mm. I think everybody cares about where their flowers come from and everybody want, knows a farmer and, you know, wants to speak a conscious consumer, right? But, you know, every now and then I am shocked into reality, but I'm still trying to work all the angles to try to make that conversation happen yep. in the media or in the mainstream floral industry or, you know, just among, you know, my, my circle of friends. So. Mm-hmm. And so when you describe, you have, I think you said 850 members across the country? Yeah, give or take. Are there slow flower members in every single state at this point? Yes. And we have, and we have members in five of the Canadian provinces because Canada is really taking off, which is so exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're not talking about like cross border trade. We're just trying to support our sisters and brothers in our adjacent country who who have this sort of similar uh, paradigm, you know, yeah. in terms of their economy. Right. Yeah. And what also is sort of interesting to me in the, the last, you know, five, six years that you and I have been chatting um, is that we have had slow flowers ver- versions iterations in Ireland, in England, in, I don't know how other many yeah. countries, but Australia, but yeah, this has, yeah. Sweden, Italy. Yeah. It, there's a lot of people picking up on this idea. A- absolutely. And that is directly inspired by your vision. And so, um, yeah, cultural shift is done and on its way. And that is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, Can I just tell you one, yeah. one statistic that's new, just because yeah. people have I've just been talking about it. I really wanted to have some kind of true measure, right? Because there are certain people in the world who like numbers talk, right? Yep. And so oh, yeah. um, like, how do you know local flowers are important is sort of thing. And so I partnered with the National uh, Gardening Foundation or National Gardening Association, mm-hmm. which has done a for 40 years, they've done the National Gardening Survey. Yep. And this just came out in mid-April, and um, we were able to add two questions to that omnibus survey of 2,500 American households, uh, which I think this thing has like 700 questions or something. Like, it's all about consumer behavior, yep. spending patterns, and attitudes. You, yep. Sounds like you know about it. Yeah. And we um, asked a, a two follow-up questions to the er, their original question of like how much did your household spend on flowers last year and one is uh, you know how important is it to you that the flowers you purchase are american grown and then the other one was how important is it to you that the flowers you purchase are local and we just got the numbers so 57 percent of americans say it's somewhat or very or somewhat important that the flowers they purchase are domestic, American grown, and 58% say it's important that they're local, that, that that's their preference. And I'm fr- I'm freaking excited because we now have a baseline. Yeah. Uh, and now in future years, we can measure that. I want you to repeat those numbers really slowly. <laughs> uh, 57% of respondents in this like scientifically, scientifically accurate, you right, know, right. survey yep. um, say 57% say it is important, somewhat or very important to me that the flowers I purchase are American grown. 58%, just slightly f- more, 
uh, say it's it's somewhat or very important that the flowers I purchase are local. So that's a majority people. So next year, I think we'll go back and partner with the National uh, gardening survey and ask some additional questions about do you know how to find flowers that you know or how do you identify origin because we got to keep you know pushing the needle on that but i'm excited i'm excited to have some kind of baseline to to point to now deborah prinzing is the founder and forward-facing visionary behind the slow flowers society stay with us we'll be right back for more about everything summery slow and floral with Deborah Prinzing. Hey, it's Jennifer. Slow summer. Flowers and floral and garden-hearted folk. I am so glad that summer is here, even with 108 degrees in my forecast already. It is still the season to try to slow down to enjoy weekends and maybe even cool mornings or cool evenings outside. The scent of favorite flowers, the shade of favorite and beloved trees, the songs of summer birds and bees, and yes, even that big brood of summer cicadas. They all remind us that this planet is loving and generous and living and sensual, and ours to know and care for in return. So enjoy some lazy summer days with her, okay? We're back now to our conversation with Deborah Prinzing, speaking with us about all things Slow Flowers, including the Slow Flowers Society's upcoming in-person Slow Flowers Summit 2021, taking place at the historic Filoli House and Garden in Woodside, California, the last week of June. I think that a lot of the growth of the excitement about, you know, people like Aaron Benzacana and Florette and Ariella Shazar and all these sort of rock star florists and mm, farmer yeah. florists, a lot of that happened on Instagram. And I am a huge fan of social media, but I am... Uh, a big believer of in-person connections. And um, uh, I just thought, well, why don't I start a conference and have it happen? You know, it started as a one-day conference. You were there, Jennifer, 2017. That was the first time we met in It was Seattle. so fun. It was so fun. Yeah. yeah. There was this just great energy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, what really what happened was in 2016, I was at an event with Amy Stewart. And I think she has she been on your show? You know, she never has, but I was I interviewed her for uh, the earth in her hands. And she was such a treat. She's not as active in the floral space right now. She's writing murder mysteries. But Amy um, uh, wrote the forward to our book, The 50 Mob OK. And we're old friends through the garden writing circles. And we were at an event in 2016. And we started talking about the fact that 2017 was going to be the 10 year anniversary of her book, uh, Flower Confidential, which was a yeah. New York Times bestseller. It's like kind of this good, the bad and the beautiful of the global floral industry and clearly a bestseller then and still now required reading for people who are just discovering all this. Mm -hmm. And Amy turned to me, we're at a cocktail party. She goes, yeah, my book is going to be 10 years old next year and, and we should do something. She goes, we should do something. And I said, yeah, <laughs> let's do it. And she goes, 
you should do something, Deborah. <laughs> uh, thank you, Amy. <laughs> so I just, I, I said, well, if I, if I have an event, would you come? And as it turned out, she did. And, um, graciously refused, uh, an honorarium. She just came to speak mm. at the slow flower summit in 2017 on the anniversary of her 10 year anniversary of her book. And it was lovely. You were there, you heard it. And, um, I like to, I, I was like, well, how do I describe this? And so I started calling it the Ted talk for flower lovers, which isn't really fair because I think when you go to a Ted talk or when you listen to one, it's like 20, 20 to 25 minutes presentation. Right. We do let our speakers go on longer than that. No worries, Jennifer. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, it's sort of like ideas and inspiration and instigation and information. Yeah. And most of all, inclusion is so important to me. It always has been one of our um, legs, five legs of that stool. And so uh, we, we just, it took off after that. And uh, it's, it, it's amazing that it's, you know, for our core audience is farmers, florists and farmer florists. But increasingly now there are gardeners and garden lovers and, um, you know, highly educated hobbyists who want to learn from the pros and yeah. uh, be in this environment. So that's kind of where we're at now with the one that's happening in um, just uh, two months. In two months, yeah. Those eyes that you just rattled off the inspiration mm -hmm. and instigation and inclusion and information and um, ideas and ideas. You know, I remember going to the, that summit in Seattle in 2017, and I hadn't yet had the request to write the earth in her hands, but already it was clear that, you know, you and I, and, and a, a handful, a, a healthy handful of other people in the spaces that we inhabit, you know, whether on Instagram or as podcasters or as writers or just as gardeners, mm -hmm. we're really interested in this inclusion question mm -hmm. and, and very highly aware as two middle-aged, middle-class white women that are arena as gardeners was bizarrely under inhabited by people of color um, and different backgrounds and we knew it it wasn't true we knew that in fact there are there are plenty of gardeners of color in the world but they just weren't represented in the media and this was a really interesting aspect to me of that summit in 2017 and in fact it's where I, I most fully first engaged with this question of decolonizing the garden mm -hmm. and spoke with Leslie Bennett who was a speaker at the the summit mm -hmm. and then included her in the earth in her hands and I think it's just a it, it, it was a, a kind of seedling for me at that time um, idea of like, what could I do to help with that um, yeah. and uh, how to be an effective advocate and ally uh, for changing that cultural, that very specific cultural shift. Yeah. And so I really, really applaud you for, for being, um, you know, a, a formative leader of that in our space as well. Thanks, um, Jennifer. And I have to... Um, acknowledged my inspiration, um, which I don't think you know about, but in 2016, uh, Lisa Wad, creator of the famed Flower House Detroit project, which many people mm -hmm. may have remembered reading about it, was covered by the New York Times. It was a, a, a phenomenon in design and also um, 
recognizing, you know, what's happening in Detroit. She had a one year, one conference the following year in 2016 called Flower Detroit Flower Week. Mm-hmm. And Lisa invited Leslie Bennett and she also invited Maurice Harris, who is um, a famous florist in LA who's black um, and to come and speak. And then they had an informal, I mean, here she's in Detroit. Okay. She's a white woman in Detroit. And she wanted to have a conversation, a round table discussion about a lack of uh, representation in in horticulture mm-hmm. and in floral and th- I wasn't there I flew in too late I missed it but that influenced me just the fact that Lisa did that in a clunky yeah. clumsy awkward you know way like all these conversations start out but she did it mm-hmm. and then I was I was inspired to kind of take the baton from her um, and mm-hmm. have our panel on you know diver- where's the diversity in horticulture and floriculture uh, panel yeah. Well, and, and it, I, I would say that it, it is still clunky, of course, um, especially for, um, you know, us mm-hmm. uh, as the the white women trying to talk about this as effectively as we can, not for other people, but, um, you know, to to increase our own understanding right, right. And, uh, and efficacy. But clunky as it it may still be, um, it is. It, we have made a ton of progress, and this last year of 2020 has seen. Uh, you know, we have made strides in this arena like we have never had before, and uh, that is one of the strange upsides of 2020 mm-hmm. and um, the social justice reset and the pandemic. The visibility of the incredible diversity of people in these arenas has been something to truly, truly celebrate. Um, You know, and I was uh, on a panel with Maurice Harris, who's uh, online, he's Bloom and Plume, and he is so funny, a powerhouse, um, as is Leslie Bennett. So, Speaking of summits um, and these great con- convenings that have taken place uh, in the past, we have one coming up. And I want to talk a little bit about that. I think I want to go there and then we'll move to to books because <laughs> then we can great. sort of talk about – Yeah, okay. I'll follow There's you wherever so you go. There's so much to cover. <laughs> okay, great. Um, tell us about the, the 2021 summit, which is in person. Right, Yeah. Well, so we um, did take a pause in 2020. We had a conference scheduled for it's always the summit. I always have had it as an in-person event during what I another one of our projects, which is American Flowers Week, which is the week that always leads up to and culminates in July 4th. And it's just a marketing social media fun promotion to, you know, to showcase farming and floral design. But anyway, that said, we couldn't do it in 2020. So our partners, our hosts at Filoli Historic House and Garden in Woodside, California, which is in the Bay Area, they, of course, had the same, you know, issue that all public gardens had, and they didn't really want people on their grounds uh, that early on, and nobody could travel. So we postponed it exactly a year later. So it's June 28th through 30th. Um, of this year to the first two days will be at Filoli. It will be all outdoor conference, all socially distanced and um, COVID compliant. And I'm really excited that we will get to see people, even though we're wearing our masks, we will get to elbow bump and, um, you know, have all those magical conversations that can't be programmed and just happen organically. So um, 
we're pretty psyched. And uh, Jennifer, you, I'm just going to brag on you because we um, are going to ha uh, have your presentation uh, talking about uh, mainly, well, when I invited you, we were focused exclusively on promoting the earth in her hands and having you talk about women in, in not just horticulture, but in the green, you know, spaces in, in mm -hmm. the, you know, the roles that women play in the garden in many facets. And so that is going to happen on um, Tuesday. Uh, uh, at, you're going to kind of wrap up the whole conference and I'm really excited about it, but we are, we've got some great Me speakers too. and um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, um, we're almost afraid to promote it, Jennifer, because I know we don't want to have to turn anyone away. And um, miraculously we've only, had about a dozen people ask for their partial refund who don't feel comfortable getting on an airplane to fly. So um, we have, I think we'll for sure have a hundred attendees. We might, depending on California, bump it up a little bit, but anyway, it's going to okay. be awesome. And uh, so at this point, yeah. do you have any spaces available? We're still taking registrations. Yeah. And it's, okay. it's a, okay. we actually just, um, if somebody's interested and they, uh, you know, want to come, they can visit slowflowerssummit.com and see the registration information. I, I will say we are we just decided to add a one day ticket option, but you have to get in touch with us if you're interested. But some people, you know, may just see like that's enough for them and their social level. <laughs> but yeah, it's going to be great. We're going to have you know conference. We have presentations about design, about sustainable farming, uh, oh, yeah. about art, about women about i mean abra lee who's a past guest of your podcast is going to yeah. is presenting a brand new talk on the history of the black american florist based on her research so great. and uh and her upcoming book right right, right. well yeah this is some of the stuff these are nuggets that maybe maybe she's not going to have in the book but she's stumbled across the people and their stories so oh, that's great yeah yeah and is there just out of curiosity is there a virtual option for people you know, at this point, we are only going to, we, we don't have that yet, but I think we will. Okay. So if people are interested, it won't be virtual, but we will probably have the videos available for purchase and viewing okay. um, probably, you know, in the future. So I'm sorry to say that producing a virtual live stream conference is sort of like producing, I don't know, the Emmy Awards or something. You need a lot of money and we are a tiny, we're a tiny show, but um yeah, we're, you know, we'll, we're going to, for every past conference, we have posted the video of all the presentations on our website at some point after the conference. This is Cultivating Place. Deborah Prinsing is the founder and visionary behind the Slow Flowers Society. Stay with us. We'll be right back for more about everything Slow Flowers with Deborah. thinking out loud this week. After a year and some of very little travel, very little, if any, gathering with others, very little communal laughter or celebration, this summer of 2021 already seems a little bit magical. I flew on a plane to see my eldest daughter graduate from college and to have a full family gathering in her honor and it was nothing short of miraculous. I traveled on another plane to see my father again in his recovery and to support my stepmother in her caregiving. 
She and I went to a sweet little brick and mortar shop called Nest in Abiquiu, New Mexico, where they live. And the wildly creative and hardworking jeweler and owner of Nest, Tamara Kay, has curated not only her own inspired jewelry, but the art of local and far flung painters, ceramicists, herbalists, and writers. She had a delicious collection of poetry books, some by individual poets, some compilations. The week after I saw her, Tamara was hosting a poetry reading for a poet local to the area. When I asked her if she had a website, she said, yeah, but she really didn't want to focus on that. What she wanted to focus all of her generous supply of energy on was being part of a renaissance of brick and mortar shops across the country, helping to anchor and coalesce her community around art and beauty and meaning and meeting in their place together. On each of these first tender forays into the world with my vaccinations and without violating protocols, my sensitivity to the joys of gathering with others was sharp and sweet. It was unadulterated joy I am feeling at being headed to the Slow Flower Summit. We as humans and gardeners, we are social creatures. We are tactile creatures and we are a generative community with our plants, our soil, our weather, and one another. We are herd animals and we are so much better together, really, not just virtually. Here's to 2021 and caring about one another and for one another in person. We're back now to our conversation with Deborah Princing, speaking with us about all things Slow Flowers Society, including more about Deborah's co-founding of a new floral publishing imprint known as Bloom. You mentioned that you have a monthly magazine online journal kind of thing. And you, uh, and we talked a little bit about books. There will be quite a few books for sale at the summit. Uh, but on the subject of books, you have decided that you are not busy enough and you don't have enough facets <laughs> to your work and you want to serve the people's hunger for this kind of inspiration and instigation and ideas and inclusion even more. And so you've started your own co-started, I should yeah. say, your own publishing imprint known as Bloom. Yep. 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 So what? <laughs> Tell us about this, Deborah. Well, you and I are like very fluent in the world of books and we, you know, we do not do, we do not write an author and produce books because we're going to go to, I don't know, Paris on the revenue. But, you know, <laughs> no. it's it's a creative expression that I've always loved. I've always loved print. Now I think maybe I should have loved radio early on because it would be so much easier than writing, right? Uh, which you're demonstrating right here. But um, my, um, I have a, a 
dear friend named Robin Avni, who is an award-winning photo editor and has been um, the art director at major dailies like the Philadelphia Inquirer and the Seattle Times and went on to a tech career and was a creative director at Microsoft. And she lives here in Seattle. And we have always loved each other as friends. And we've worked on a couple small projects together. We had a women's blogging group back in 2008 to 10 that we were a part of. And anyway, we ended up creating this business called Bloom Imprint that melds our talents perfectly, where I am the editorial director, she's the creative director. And really our mission is to uh, produce books by and about Slow Flowers members. And as it turns out, um, all of the authors we're working with right now, I think there's seven of them, are first time authors. So we feel like we really are birthing people's um, unique perspective, unique stories and inspiration and whatever facet of the, the slow flowers world that, you know, that they're involved in, be it growing or design, or um, in one case, interior design and architectural renovation. So uh, to get us kicked off, Robin and I produced the first book together, and I was the author, and that book just came out in, uh, well, we launched it on Tuesday on uh, the 27th of April, called Where We Bloom, and it's a basically... It's like a little version of the earth in her hands, to be honest with you, Jennifer. It really is. It really is. And it's, but it's very focused on the floral world. You know, it kind of like takes that segment and expands it. And I'm holding it in my hand right now, Deborah. And I had so much fun reading and looking through this book when it arrived. I love it. Thank you. I should say it's really a version of a book I wrote in 2008 called Stylish Sheds and Elegant Hideaways, which is no longer in print because of course it came out the year that the economy dropped out, you know, the bottom of the economy dropped out. But it was a mini profiles of all of these architectural gems, these backyard sanctuaries, these little environments where people pursue their passion and all in gardening, of course. And so it dawned on me when Robin and I were talking about what should we do first? I'm like, let's just do the, the same kind of, you know, survey or like roundup of floral spaces and where do, where does floral, where does floral creativity take place? And um, we put out a call for submissions. We have 37 of these uh, lovely little spaces from, um, you know, potting sheds to um, mobile flower trucks in a vintage, you know, mail, vintage postal truck, um, to retail flower spaces, to barns, to greenhouses. And, you know, it really does, it does tip toe over into gardening as well, but mainly every person in the book is a, a floral professional, a grower or a designer. And it's, it's really fun. It's like little, lots of beautiful photos and little stories and the kind of book that I hope will inspire anyone who wants to um, create their own environment. And that's sort of the premise of the book. The premise of the book is creativity thrives in an environment that is intentional for the personality and aesthetic of the human who's inside that space. Yeah. And you reference these other works, but the, the stylish sheds was lovely. This has even more power because of its focus on these people mm -hmm. and their creative purpose um, in, in making this their lives. And 
Um, and then it provides this sort of blueprint like the earth in her hands for people who are interested in this work to see, oh, they did this or they did this. And, and that permission mm-hmm. to have that intentional space mm-hmm. to cultivate and incubate your creativity and kind of restore yourself. So it it's almost like stylish sheds meets the earth in her hands meet where women create. Oh, thank you so much. That's so true. And you're right, because it, it's so interesting you say that because the shed book was really about architecture and interior yeah. design. It the people, in fact, we had the publisher didn't even really want people in the book because it, you know, they felt it would date it. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, there's an owner here, someone who conjured this thing up. But you're right. the the uh, The thread of pursuing your passion and expressing yourself through flowers it really is is the connects everybody in the book. Yeah, and it's the the stories of the people um, are they give you a lot of hope. I mean, especially if you are looking to change up your focus or intensify it or switch careers or. So now I want to move because mm-hmm. this actually segues beautifully into one of the the final two questions I want to engage with you around. And, and one of them is that I read a quote from somebody recently, and it was a younger woman, uh, maybe in her, her, you know, 20s. And she was bemoaning the fact that our current cultural norm is that we commodify our hobbies, mm-hmm. which used to be these things we love to do and that took us out of everyday life and that gave us a creative outlet, but that weren't, we weren't leaning on them to be everything. Interesting. And I, that really struck me because I I know for me, um, you know, that having taken my love of gardening and then found- Look where it took you, right? Right, which is great, but I also I'm aware of that that trap that she mentioned, and I know that if I don't actually get out into the garden just for my own state of mind, with no, you know, hope of an Instagram picture, no hope of you know anything except for just time with me outside in the garden, I am not a sane person. Yeah, and so I want to ask you about that and how how do you handle that for your own well-being? How do you carve out sanity so that these things that we love so much aren't consumed or killed even by our working them so hard um, in these efforts? Because there there has to be a balance. It makes me think of this old friend of ours. My husband used to practice law with the wife of this guy, and he was a Washington State ferry boat captain. We loved getting on the ferry and saying hi to Steve and all that. And then we were at a dinner party somewhere and he flew a small aircraft to meet this like big event out in the country. And I didn't know he was a pilot. And I'm like, Steve, oh my gosh, are you going to become a pilot now? And he said, no, I already ruined one of my passions by going to work in that industry. I'm not going to ruin another one. And that's sort of what you're <laughs> sort of what you're talking about. And um, gosh, you know, it's it's really important to find time to garden. And I agree with you completely, uh, Jennifer, that if we deny ourselves that, then um, our work suffers. So um, I guess for me, I really try to at least spend one day each weekend only in the garden. And Mm -hmm. if I have my phone in my pocket, it's only because I'm listening to an 
some kind of podcast or, you know, you know, NPR show. It's not because I'm trying to take a photo of it. Um, I have a smallish garden. It's only, it's only in the fifth season or fourth. I think we moved here in 2017. So I guess it's our fifth season and it's just enough for me to manage. And it brings me immense joy. And I, there's no purpose for it really, other than to have flowers to cut, to bring indoors. Um, what is added, an added thing for me this year is that my mother who's 86, finally has a raised bed at her uh, garden at her retirement community. She's never really gardened ever before, but she's taken it up, I think, to give us something to do together. Mm. And we're having a lot of fun working on that together. And that is purely just, just to be active and, you know, be with my mom. And I love that so much. Well, I, you, I think you just answered my, my last question, which was what, are your greatest sort of measures of joy <laughs> in in this work because i do think you know especially when i look at how many people reach out to me about you know the joy of this work the meaning of this work and trying to make a living not get rich i mean we are not talking about you know again trips to paris really we are talking about just trying to add to the the living income of a household right and I think it really is important, no matter what age you might be when you enter this world, to, to just protect some of that time so that you have room for that joy right. outside of the business side of it. Yeah. And I think that also now coming out of COVID, one thing I am trying to do is visit a a public garden at least once mm. a month. And mm. um, I just did that last week with my oldest friend from high school. We went to the Dunn Garden in North Seattle uh. and had, we are the only two people who showed up. So we had a private tour with the docent and um, we were pinching ourselves. And it was like a balm for any aches I might've had in my body or heart. And um, and so I'm trying to I'm trying to do that. You know, and I, I'm privileged. I get to go out onto flower farms and interview people. So I get that too. And, and I think more of us will be seeking that as we, you know, emerge from our quarantine. Yeah. Our isolation. Mm -hmm. So as you, you know, look towards the summit, you look towards this year of um, these great titles being published mm -hmm. by the Bloom imprint, and you look towards another growing season. Is there is there anything you would like to add about the importance of this work in our world at this time, Deborah? Well, I'm. thanks for asking. I mean, I'm so encouraged by the numbers that are coming out, both from the National Gardening Survey and from other major media like Better Homes and Gardens, just saying that somewhere between 16 and 20 minutes between 16 and 20 million new people entered gardening in the mm -hmm. last 12 months. And you've probably right? talked yeah. about it. So how can we make gardening um, as relevant to our human existence as eating a meal or, um, you know, being with loved ones? And I mean, it's, it's just like a life skill. We want, I want that uh, just lit, like you use the word literacy. I want to see that literacy continue. So it's, it's encouraging. And it's just, I think, creating access and points of entry and uh, inclusion in, in the garden is, you know, a personal mission of both of ours. And I think yeah. whenever we can support that, and just be observant of opportunities, I just think it's, um, that's what I want to spend my time on, you know, and mm -hmm. 
That's all I can say. Yeah. <laughs> I think those are pretty great things. So I really appreciate and thank you for your time today. And I cannot wait to see you in person at the summit. And big congratulations on the new imprint. I will be watching the new titles with great interest and enthusiasm. So thank you, Jennifer. Oh my gosh, this has been so much fun. I love, I, I mean, we can do this. We've done this often, but not often enough. So thank you for having me on the show to, to just share the things I'm interested in. Deborah Brinsing is the founder and leader of the Slow Flowers Society. She joined us this week to share more about the many facets of her work. As a Seattle-based writer, speaker, and leading advocate for American-grown flowers, it is Deborah's many Slow Flowers branded projects that have convened a national conversation stimulating and encouraging and directing consumers and professionals alike to make conscious choices about the flowers in their lives. The Slow Flower Society is an inclusive community dedicated to preserving domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of sustainably farmed flowers and foliage. Slow Flowers Society members are engaged in all facets of the flower marketplace. Join us again next week when cultivating places in conversation with another floral voice, this time from the United Kingdom with Claire Bowen, the creative behind the floral space known as Honeysuckle and Hilda. She is also the author of The Healing Power of Flowers. Join us then. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, and the podcast and its outreach is listener-supported over at CultivatingPlace.com. To the many people who signed up to be sustaining members of Cultivating Place in the month of May, thank you. I can't wait to send you your own copy of Under Western Skies. To see many summary, slow-you-down images of all things slow flowers, check out this week's show notes under the podcast tab at cultivatingplace.com. While you're there, make sure to check out the events tab at Cultivating Place as well. The Slow Flowers Summit, beginning June 28th, is just the first of many in-person events I will be participating in this coming summer. From Filoli to Nantucket, Bar Harbor to Aspen, Denver to Martha's Vineyard, Point Reyes to Atlanta, I would love to catch up with all of you gardeners everywhere. Our producer and engineer is Matt Fiddler. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Places distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. If your local radio station doesn't play Cultivating Place, you might suggest that they should. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.